A lot of you have been asking me for insomnia treatment options, so I want to let you know I have launched an insomnia treatment course. It's a very structured and effective treatment program with a lot of clinical evidence support. So one course is in Chinese and one is in English. You can find it at deepintosleep.co forward slash insomnia. Dr. Sendonj, welcome to Deep Into Sleep podcast. Hi, thank you. How are you? I'm great. So great to have you. So I'm curious, how did you get in the field to do some research on, you know, the relationship between diet, nutrition, and sleep? What got you interested in it? Yeah, so it was actually quite uh, serendipitous. Uh, my PhD is in nutrition. So I received a PhD in nutrition from McGill University. Uh, and I was very interested in energy balance and the impact of various foods on energy balance regulation. So making small alterations to your diet that could improve um, energy expenditure to help potentially reduce body weight and lead to negative energy balance. And I was on this path, you know, looking at studying functional foods to, to improve energy expenditure, increase thermic effect of food. And while I was uh, at the University of Alabama at Birmingham, this was my first faculty position, the NIH came out with a call for applications. And it was, the title of it was uh, Sleep and Energy Balance. Oh. But it hadn't come to me. I didn't, and ha I hadn't seen this, uh, this request for applications, but the sleep researchers at the institution had. So they came to the Department of Nutrition and had a meeting with myself and another of my colleagues to know about energy balance. What is this? How do we measure energy balance? Could we respond to this RFA? And I was a junior faculty member. I was, I think it was in my second year as assistant professor. And I thought, wow, that's kind of an interesting topic. I don't know so much about sleep, but we could certainly look at energy balance in the context of sleep duration. And, and the, my colleague who was with me at the time was more senior and she was well established in our field. And at the end of the meeting, she told me, she was said, you know, you know, this sleep thing, if you, if you want to go for it and, and work with the, these researchers, go right ahead. It's not, it's not a, my, uh, it's not what something I want to pursue. Sure. So, okay. So I started working with them. We put in an application. It didn't get funded. I ultimately switched in institutions, but kept working on this. I had done all this, you know, writing and I was getting very interested in sleep. And I was actually at a time where I was pregnant and I was pregnant oh. with twins while I was writing this grant. And I thought, how, how uh, odd that, you know, I'm so sleep deprived while I'm pregnant and I'm working on this grant application looking at how reduced sleep, insufficient sleep can influence energy balance regulation. But anyways, long story short, after a few iterations of the of grant applications, I finally got funded um, to run a study that was a sleep restriction study, a very short-term acute severe sleep restriction to assess how that would influence energy balance. And we had energy expenditure assessments and measurements of, of food intake and appetite regulating hormones. We also um, looked at functional neuroimaging and really had a holistic picture of how uh, restricting sleep in people could influence their food choices and their, um, their energy expenditure. 
Wow, that sounds like such a pioneering and important field to to really study. Well, it was important because at the time we had a lot of uh, emerging studies showing that from observational epidemiological studies that um, individuals who had short sleep also tended to have more obesity, have higher body mass index. But those epidemiological studies were really showing associations and not necessarily causation. And early work from Yvonne Cowder's lab had shown that restricting sleep in um, in young men, young healthy men, led to uh, greater feelings of appetite. And these men reported feeling more hungry, feeling less satiated after undergoing a sleep restriction. And she had also measured leptin and ghrelin and had shown that ghrelin, which is an ap- appetite hormone, a hormone that um, signals um, food intake, was higher after sleep restriction compared to uh, adequate sleep condition. But they hadn't measured food intake in that study. um, And it was a very short-term study with only men. And our study then had a larger sample size, more participants, including women, and uh, was slightly longer in duration, measured more appetite uh, regulating hormones and actually measured food intake in the lab so we could actually quantify the the extra food intake of participants uh, in short sleep conditions, really showing a causal influence of restricting sleep on food intake. Oh, cool. Yeah, I was just about to ask what were the um, causation like finding you guys find? Sounds very interesting. Yeah, so in this study, we. We had participants under controlled feeding conditions for four days. Uh, Controlled feeding conditions for four days in the context of sleep restriction and in the context of adequate sleep. And that was the time period where we actually took hormone measurements and really looked at different um, uh, metabolites. And when we were done with our metabolic assessments, we let our participants self-select their food intake over one day and measured everything they ate in the lab. So they were under uh, inpatient conditions. So a few things came out from this study. Um, One, it was very important to me that we did this study under controlled feeding conditions when we were taking metabolic assessments because changes in participants' food intake could influence appetite-regulating hormones. If they eat more in one condition, then there's counter-regulatory effects. So we wanted to make sure that in both conditions, there'd be, they'd be eating the exact same amount of food when we were taking our metabolic assessments. But then we also wanted to know, like, are they going to eat more, right? Mm-hmm. So um, the, the good thing was that we had a large number, relatively large number of males and females. And when we looked at appetite regulating hormones, we saw in the whole, in the group as a whole, there was no effect on leptin and ghrelin. But when we looked at data for men and women separately, we found that ghrelin was increased in men, but not in women. But we also had measurements of another hormone called glucagon-like peptide 1, which is a hormone that signals satiety, so stopping eating. And in that, with that hormone, we found that in women, but not in men, there was a reduction in glucagon-like peptide 1. So there is less satiety signal 
in women undergoing sleep restriction, but whereas in men, there was more signaling to eat. So higher ghrelin in men and lower GLP-1 in women in the context of sleep restriction. When we let our participants self-select their food intake, they ate almost 300 calories more in sleep restriction compared to adequate sleep conditions. Wow. So it sounds like if we don't sleep well, we tend to feel more like a stronger hunger and Mm -hmm. tend to choose to eat more and possibly eat unhealthy. Yeah, they tended to eat more fat and saturated fat in our study. But others have also found uh, similar findings that there's an increase in food intake uh, in participants who are undergoing sleep restriction. And in some studies, they well, one study in particular, participants chose uh, more snack foods or chose uh, more sugar-sweetened foods, more refined carbohydrates. So in general, I think that data, that studies agree that if you're restricting your sleep, you're not making the healthiest food choices. Right. Then I'm wondering, you know, nowadays our life is so busy. A lot of people don't prioritize their sleep, right? So if for whatever reason, people are not sleeping well, they are restricting their own sleep somewhat. Is there a way that they can learn to choose their food more cautiously to Mm -hmm. help with their energy level during the day? Yeah, so, well, that's interesting because you're talking about energy level during the day, right? So when we're feeling sleepy, we often feel tired. We feel like we need more energy to perk yourself up, right? Which is what happens when you eat food, you get energy, you perk up. so that's, I think, one of the things that happens when when you're undergoing short sleep and you're feeling sleepy is you tend to crave foods to, to give you this little perk. Um, but we also, uh, in, in a separate study, measured energy expenditure uh, because we were wondering what would happen with with uh, energy expenditure in, in our participants. Would they burn more energy? Would they burn less energy? And in we did a study in a metabolic chamber. So this is a room that's about you know basically the size of my office, and you live in this room for 24 hours, and we measure energy expenditure every single minute. Wow. And what we found in that study was that energy expenditure during wake time was not different at all, whether you slept four hours the night before or whether you slept eight hours the night before. During the daytime, your energy expenditure was exactly the same. But if we had in one condition, participants sleep four hours and in another condition, they slept eight hours. When participants went to bed, which was earlier, obviously, in the eight-hour sleep condition, their energy expenditure was reduced compared to the four-hour sleep condition. And when participants um, woke up, their energy expenditure was the same again, right? So wake time energy expenditure was the same. Sleep time energy expenditure was also the same. But because wake time energy expenditure is higher than than sleeping energy expenditure, and when you're sleep restricting yourself, you're actually burning more calories. So in a way, you need more energy 
on days that you sleep less because you're burning more just to maintain wakefulness. Mm -hmm. But the extent of um, the increase in energy expenditure was about 90, 90 calories, about 5% of total, 5 to 7% of total energy expenditure. So it wasn't that much. Definitely not in, to the extent of the overeating that we had observed in, in the prior study. So then basically what it means is if you're sleep restricting yourself, then you're, you tend to eat more, you overcompensate for the energy expenditure, the extra energy expenditure that you burn. Oh, it's so interesting because I treat insomnia mostly. We always notice there's a gap between, um, you know, subjective, like, uh, perspective, perspectives and uh, and how like objectively the data looks like for sleep overall but sounds like for energy level for uh like diet behaviors there are some gap between what's really happening versus what we perceive that is mm-hmm. happening mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah wow and that guides our brain to lead to very unhealthy food choices wow that's so interesting i never know that well the other thing that we did and that's in in the first uh, sleep restriction study was do um, functional neuroimaging Mm. and we showed participants pictures of foods and pictures of objects and we looked at their neuronal responses to those different images and we found that the brain regions that were associated with reward system were upregulated in the short sleep condition compared to the adequate sleep condition. So really what we're, what we seem to find was if you're restricting sleep in uh, people, they have a hormonal profile that predisposes to overeating. So more appetite signaling or less satiety signaling in short sleep compared to adequate sleep, but then also their brains are more attuned to rewarding properties of foods and may find foods more appealing. So taken together, then that kind of explains how someone could easily overeat uh, under conditions of short sleep compared to adequate sleep. Right. And also, again, the uh, energy expenditure study that I was mentioning was in a metabolic chamber, Mm. which in which you really can't move so much. Mm. So that, you know, I'm, I'm saying that in that study, we found more energy expenditure, right? In, in short sleep compared to adequate sleep. But we don't know if that extra energy expenditure could be offset by just lifestyle energy expenditure choices. If you're feeling tired, would you choose to take the elevator rather than the stairs? If you go for a run, do you run slower? Would you choose not to go for a run and then just like sit on the couch and watch TV instead of exercising because you're feeling too tired? So maybe, you know, there there's an extra, uh, extra energy is being burned to maintain wakefulness, but that's compensated by more sedentary behaviors just because you don't want, you don't feel like exercising because you're too tired. That's something that we haven't really been able to um, to capture very well in our studies, but others have shown that under conditions of uh, sleep restriction, if we if they have participants in an outpatient facility, for example, compared to an inpatient facility, participants tend to have fewer activity counts 
mm-hmm. and more sedentary behavior uh, when they're undergoing short sleep. Yeah. That's also interesting because that reminds me when we treat insomnia patients. Uh, I think that totally makes sense. Why we see so many patients, they come in, they, they said they did not sleep well, right? Mm-hmm. They could not uh, get enough sleep. Um, sometimes it's for short sleep. Sometimes it's because insomnia. Um, and then they tend to feel really the symptom of fatigue during the day. And a lot of people do choose to rest. Uh, in order to feel better. So mm-hmm. they think they're going to feel better. But <laughs> what we notice if they are more quiet, they are just relaxed more during the day, their insomnia going to get worse at mm-hmm. night. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we ask people to, you know, move around, move their body or do whatever they normally do. Don't stop exercising or socializing. If they really do that, some of them do experience um you know, their energy level comes back again. So I'm curious, like, how to understand that. You may not have the answer, but just from the study, I'm just curious, huh, where that extra energy, right, come from? Yeah, it, all, it also has to do with motivation, right? How motivated are you when you're feeling too too tired and fatigued? And that's just, you know, you're talking to me about, about insomnia, and that's something that we've been kind of wondering about, what happens in insomnia treatment when sleep restriction is part of the intervention? Do we know what happens to participants' food intake, their energy expenditure, their energy balance during that period? And how long of a stretch does that is that? Yeah, that's a good question. At least from the patients I treat, I treat mostly um, Asian patients. So uh, I always just check the basically, do they eat regularly, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, most Chinese, I know they eat at a certain time each day. They eat certain amount of food, mostly Chinese food. So a lot of my patients th- uh, throughout the you know insomnia treatment course, they do not change much. At least they don't report much like uh, eating pattern change. Mm-hmm. They always think their eating pattern are still regular. Still, sometimes they are not the one cooking the food and they just keep whatever the diet it is. But mm-hmm. I don't know whether in the process they actually crave or actually have more snacks, right? Yeah. I, I have no idea. Um, but for the sleep restriction technique, a lot of time we only do it for one to two weeks. Okay. And uh, also I remember clinically there are some guidance to say don't restrict to less than five hours per night. Mm-hmm, so it's mm-hmm. not that extreme. And for a lot of insomnia patients, that's exactly the gap between the perception and the reality. Okay. So uh, many of them, they, they within that several uh, weeks of treatment, their body actually cannot generate too many sleep anyway. So that's why sleep restriction is try to reduce to a point that um, you know, similar to what they are able to fall asleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So their time in bed matches their actual sleep duration. Uh-huh. Just lying there. Asleep. Yeah. So I don't know how that is related to, you know, other type of uh, sleep restriction mm-hmm. or deprivation or short sleep. Yeah. So that's the other thing, you know, with our research, we usually always, well, we always um, enroll participants who have adequate sleep. Because it would really not be ethical to restrict sleep in people who are already sleeping too little. 
right? So we take people who sleep at least seven hours per night and then we restrict their sleep. Um, that study that I was talking about was a very strictly controlled inpatient study. But now we've taken this to a, a longer duration where, um, where we're asking participants to restrict their sleep by an hour and a half. So they just reduce their sleep by an hour and a half and maintain that for six weeks mm-hmm. as an outpatient study. Oh, wow. So we're working on the data now. And um, yeah, to, to stay tuned where we've got a, a whole bunch of papers lined up and, uh, on multiple outcomes that we've taken in that study. Oh, that would be amazing. I would love to, you know, let me know when the paper is out. I would love to read those and uh, refer to those to some of the patients. I think they possibly can really benefit some of the most updated research results. But also it's very interesting because if those uh, participants normally they sleep certain hours, right? Mm-hmm. And when you restrict them, they're going to be a big change in their sleep routine. Mm-hmm. And uh, how that's going to be different than already clinically uh, patients, clinical patients with insomnia. They already cannot sleep much and you restrict mm-hmm. them just to basically let them not stay on bed when they are awake too much. So right. that'd be different. I don't know. That's so interesting. Yeah, so our, in our study, we asked our participants to delay their bedtimes by an hour and a half, kind of mimic people who just stay up late at night, but they have to wake up at the same time. Mm. Wow, it's it going to be a hard study. If I'm <laughs> for six weeks, I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, so the, the other good thing is that uh, we're conducting this in New York City and most people don't drive. Uh, and we asked our participants, we had them sign on the consent form uh, that they would not drive during the study, which is easy to do. Most people who are, you know, local, take the subway everywhere or walk, take the bus, take public transport. So um, so that was a stipulation in the study that you wouldn't drive under conditions of sleep restriction. Yeah. Yeah. For, so for like, participant safety, for sure. <laughs> general population safety. When we treat insomnia patients, the same thing, right? Within one to two weeks of restriction, we ask them try not to drive, be careful, mm-hmm. and the really safety first. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. So sounds like you know nutrition is is part of the thing in the picture, but mm-hmm. really, if you want to. Um, enjoy your energy and have a good energy balancing throughout the day sleep still very important sounds like just by eating right you 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 really won't be able to boost your energy that much as we often see in different advertisement mm-hmm. yes so yeah yeah need a, you need a balance of all three you know lifestyle factors i think are very important when you talk about diet, sleep, exercise, mm-hmm. all three are important to, to influence one another. Right? Yeah. So if you have healthy sleep, you you're, you're have more energy to exercise, you make healthier dietary choices. Um, there, there was a paper just uh, this spring, right? Um, a sleep extension study uh, by Dr. Tassali showing that if you're extending sleep in people who don't sleep enough, they get they lose weight, right? They lost a half a kilo over a four-week period. And it, I would assume they make better better food choices for, yeah. for themselves. That's so amazing. Oh, in the past, you know, we never really hear much the association between weight loss and sleep. 
we always hear people talk about, well, diet, exercise, if you want to lose weight, right? Mm-hmm. But recent years, I think more and more, I start hearing from different doctors, nutritions, dietitians, more about sleep can yes. really help with uh, weight control. Yeah, so there was such an elegant study by Arlette Neocheva published, I think it was 2009, 2010, somewhere around there. They had, it was a small sample, but they took participants and had them undergo a weight loss diet. They gave them they can they gave them all of the food to lose weight for two weeks, and in one condition had them sleep adequately, so they slept over seven and a half hours or so, and in the other condition they slept about five five and a half hours, and they measured their weight loss. But this was under controlled feeding conditions. These participants ate the same thing, whether they were sleeping little or sleeping adequately. So obviously, if they were given all their food, they lost weight. They lost exact amount, same amount of weight in both conditions, right? Whether they were sleep restricted or not, they lost the same amount of weight. But they looked at the composition of weight loss. And under the sleep restricted condition, they lost less fat mass and more fat-free mass than when they were undergoing adequate sleep with the weight loss program. They also measured their uh, resting metabolic rate, and they found that their resting metabolic rate was reduced to a greater extent when they were undergoing short sleep restriction compared to adequate sleep. And their respiratory quotient, which is an indication of the types of macronutrients that you're burning, So whether you're burning more fat or more carbohydrates, that respiratory quotient was also higher when they were undergoing sleep restriction compared to adequate sleep. So a higher respiratory quotient means that you're burning more carbohydrates and less fat. When you're undergoing weight loss, what do you want to burn? You want to burn more fat. You want to lose more fat mass. You don't want to lose fat-free mass. So basically, even though the, um, the weight loss was the same. The composition of the weight loss and the metabolic effects of the weight loss differed in such a way that if when participants stop a weight loss program, they go back to eating a little more, right? But if your metabolic rate is reduced to a greater extent, then that help that creates a situation where it's more likely to regain weight. Mm-hmm in the sleep-restricted condition compared to the adequate sleep condition. Wow. So can we understand that this way, that if you sleep enough and uh, then you are losing weight in a more healthy way Mm -hmm. and uh, more likely you're going to keep this healthy weight like longer term, less relapse. So they didn't look at after the fact, right? So we only know what happens after, you know, at the end of that two week weight loss period, but one could expect that this would be the case. It needs to be measured in other studies where you actually look at, you know, um, weight loss maintenance. Mm, Yeah. Well, that's so interesting. I never really think that way that you don't just look at how many pounds got reduced. You actually Mm -hmm. should look what's really the details and components within that. Absolutely. You don't want to lose metabolically active tissue. <laughs> <laughs> you want to lose the more inert kind of 
tissue. Yeah, sounds even possibly going to be harmful to the body by losing, you know, the the tissues you don't want to lose. Well, it's especially important to, in when we're talking about older adults, we're in whom we don't really want to loss of fat free mass. It's harder to rebuild lean mass in older adults. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, right. So that touch on a population question. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know whether you still have time for. Sure. Those questions, because I'm curious when you mentioned uh, your own experience, for example, when you were pregnant with a twin, right? That's that's great. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm curious, have you noticed any research or your own research showing, you know, what different populations should pay attention differently, like uh, a woman in pregnancy or, you know, woman in, um, was that the menopause? or older adults or younger children, is there anything really stand out for a specific population that uh, our audience should pay attention to? Yeah, so there's certainly different sleep sleep conditions occur throughout life, right? So uh, during pregnancy, obviously, sleep can be be, um, influenced just by the the weight gain, right? And just being uncomfortable during sleep. A lot of women feel congested and have harder time breathing uh, through their nose. Some some uh, women develop sleep apnea during pregnancy. So those are all things that need to be considered. I know, I, I think it was also quite important to try to achieve good sleep during pregnancy, but it's not so, so easy always. And then and then the postpartum period, when you have the baby babies, you know, it can be can be hard to to sleep as well, and you fall into these periods of of better and not so good sleep. Um, but I think in each life stage, it's important to try to maintain as healthy sleep as possible, um, either through uh, trying to maintain stable sleep routines, which I think are, are quite important. And we're learning a lot more about uh, stability and regularity of sleep. Um, but obviously, uh, each each life stage brings its own um, challenges, for sure. Right, right. Yeah. So I think, you know, again, feels like sleep is a very individualized thing, right? And the diet is too. Mm-hmm. So I think we really should pay attention to where our body is and what life stage we are and uh, find out what's the best for each of us. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Very great information. Thank you for sharing all this wonderful research with us. I learned a lot. A lot of this research I'm not familiar with, but really cool. Oh, thank you so much. It was great. It was really nice chatting with you. Yeah, so if our audience want to read more of, of your research, your work, or, you know, find you on social media platform, where can they uh, find more of your work? Uh, well, we publish, obviously, in in, uh, in peer-reviewed journals. Mm-hmm. Uh, PubMed Search, Saint-Ange MP usually gets, gets me. There's not that many of us uh, with the name and initials. Uh, and I'm on Twitter, MPSTONGEPHD. Um, so in some ways I'm, I'm also at Columbia University uh, my email address is ms2554 at cumc.columbia.edu 
Great. Thank you so much. I will put all your information on the show notes. So if any audience who are interested uh, in your research and they can find all your like information online. Thank you. Uh-huh. Thank you very much. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently. And there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. Keep hope and carry on. This podcast is for general informational purpose only and does not include the practice of medicine or other health professional services. Usage of the information we share is at the listener's own risk. And our content does not intend to be a substitute for any medical and professional services, diagnoses, and treatment. Please seek professional health services as needed.